and welcome to the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes, and I am an aspiring filmmaker living in Copenhagen, Denmark. In between writing screenplays and working on short films and unsuccessfully looking for jobs, I do this podcast. Each episode, we pick one particular film and discuss it. I feel like I'm not going to introduce the next guest because... Everyone's going to know it's you, Adam. So just... yeah, I, I guess I, I've I, this, is this my biggest ever streak on the podcast? Uh, I've, I've, done, I've done quite a lot in a row now. Yeah, this is four in a row, I would say. Wicked. Yeah, I'm going for six. <laughs> uh, so we're doing this little episode now before Adam has to fly, fly, fly back off to jet-setting lifestyle. Yeah, back so... to London. We're in Copenhagen, which is sunny and wonderful today. Yeah, we're sitting in our my oh, not our but my flat. In, Which uh, is lovely in Amma, mm. on Amma. I on think. Am- yeah, everyone people yeah, yeah, say yeah. it because it's an island. Yeah, because um, every time when I say "ya boy i Amma," like Which I, say, I, I live, live in Amma, I live in Amma. Yeah, and every, but everyone sort of corrects me saying "you live on Amma." Yeah, because so, there's, there's, there's nothing Amma. there's nothing Danes like doing more than correcting people. Yes, even if they're wrong, they do love that. Mm. Yeah, well, we've had a very lovely day. Um, we had lunch uh, in a, a lovely little French restaurant in uh, in the centre of Copenhagen, where we've gone, I think, four times now. And yep. uh, a sort of uh, steak and chips and a bottle of red and a coffee. And I'm just in a very good place right now and ready mm. to do some serious podcasting about, uh, you know, serial killers and that sort of thing. Uh, just before we go into the film, uh, I have a slight little riddle for you. Oh, God, here we go. What links The Graduate, Empire Strikes Back, and The Science of the Lambs? Right. I know that The Silence of the Lambs and It Happened One Night and Something Else are the only films that have won Best Picture, Actor, Director and all the rest of it. Those mm. are the big top five or whatever they're called. Uh, so it can't be that, though, because... It Happened One Night isn't in the riddle. It Happened One Night isn't in the riddle. Uh, but The Graduate did win Best Director for Mike Nichols. Uh, yes, that was the only Oscar it won. And the other one was... Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back did not win anything. anything. Irvin Kirshner. He wasn't nominated. C-3PO. Uh, trying to seduce me, Chewbacca. Um, what does that have to do with murdering Chianti? Beans. There are no beans in any of these films. Um, lotion. I don't know. All three have lines that pe- that people misquote. Oh, you, yeah, but you, oh, hang on. You, then you could have said, like, Casablanca and Dirty Harry and shit like that. Yeah, but I thought those are the ones that... So, what, so what's... Okay, so the, the, it, it, take me through them. Line in The Graduate is like, uh, you're trying to seduce me, and everyone says, Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me, aren't you? But in The Graduate, uh, he says, you're trying to seduce me. Empire Strikes Back is, Luke, I'm your father, but it's actually, no, Luke, I am your father. And the one that everyone... Oh, that's, that, that's so pernickety! And the one in Science of the Lambs that everyone uh, misquotes is, uh, hello, Clarice, when actually it's, good evening, Clarice. Uh, well, fuck off with that riddle. <laughs> I hate that riddle. All right. Yeah. Fuck it. Say what you like about the films. <laughs> I mean, t- tell you what, though. Um, I, I guess people might have twigged by now, especially seeing as it's in the title of the podcast, yeah. <laughs> that we're talking about The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, very quotable film. It is a very, very, qu- very quotable film. Very, very quotable film. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. It puts the lotion in the basket. Hmm. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> Senator, love your suit. <laughs> Tighten it. <laughs> it toughens your nipples, doesn't it? <laughs> Take this thing back to Baltimore. You see, I think, actually, Silence of the Lambs, quite a camp film in many ways. There's, yeah, you know, a little bit. There's, I mean, I mean, the whole story with Buffalo Bill and his quest to become a woman well no that's not that I'm not talking about that but like the, the sort of bitchy oh, yeah, oh, yeah, lines yeah. and stuff the, the humour is it all, yeah like it a room kind of, yeah <laughs> poor white trash um, which he did improvise on the day uh, there was a lot of that wasn't there yeah the I think yeah that, that, was that, that, was, that, was, that was improvised yeah Jonathan Demi did not like that I think he kind of yeah. no Anthony <laughs> stop it alright you won't do it again <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's it's interesting looking at Silence of the Lambs and, and seeing how a film that started off uh, with Manhunter in 1986, I believe. Which directed w- by Michael Mann. Directed by Michael Mann, yes. I think that was his second film that he directed. Uh, Dino uh, De Laurentiis, he was the producer on the film. Uh, the film was not a huge success at the box office. This is Manhunter. This is Manhunter, yes. Yeah. So Dino De Laurentiis uh, was... 
adamant about doing uh, Silence of the Lambs. I think in 1989, Jodie Foster had just uh, read the book and was sort of putting herself to direct the film, but she lost out and Gene Hackman was uh, given, I think, paid about $250,000 to produce and possibly direct and star in the film as Hannibal Lecter. So the film was batting around for quite a long time, and De, La- De-, De Laurentiis, he sold the rights to... Well, no, he didn't exactly sell the rights, but he kept a hold of them, but he he wasn't paid. He was but, like, but Hackman dropped out quite Hack- Hackman dropped out pretty quickly after he read Ted Daly's, uh, Ted Daly's script, which he found too violent. A lot of the people who were involved in the film, mainly Jonathan Demme, Anthony Hopkins, and Jodie Foster, they were the stand-ins, almost, like the runner-up, because they wanted people like either Robert Duvall... Dustin Hoffman, Jack Nicholson to play Hannibal Lecter, and Jonathan Demme, the only films that he was famous for were uh, comedies, and that's those ones were Married to the Mob, which he did with Michelle Pfeiffer, who was his original choice for Clarice Starling. Uh, the only way that he, when he saw Jodie Foster and, and saw how determined she was, that's when he realized that she was, she was right for the role. It's about a woman trying to show that she can survive in a man's world because at this point uh, the behavioral science unit did not employ that many women once the film came out then women were applying for it left and right yeah well i mean i think the film is about clarice it is about her journey it's about her um going through uh you know the hero's journey or whatever you want to call it yeah yeah. and absolutely the film signposts all throughout the misogyny and the way she's patronized by the other characters Mm. um and the only character in the film who really treats her as an equal is actually Hannibal Lecter. Mm. Um, the, uh, there, there are just so many great moments, like the bit where she gets in the lift surrounded by all the blokes who are much taller than her. and Or the uh, scene in the funeral home where everyone's like looking down on her. Yeah, exactly. And then she tries... Room full of blokes. Yeah, yeah when they're trying to... Um, when they're just about to do the autopsy and when they find the, that's a bug cocoon in the, in the woman's throat everyone like when she tries to say say like okay excuse me everybody excuse me. hello yeah look uh i appreciate all you people bringing her back home to her family but fuck get off. the fuck yeah, out so like, could, go by yeah so we could do so we could do our work that. yeah so they were a bit annoyed about it and um but no that that whole the whole story i mean people remember this um film i think mostly because of the bits with anthony hopkins but um he's not in it for that long he's only no he's only in it for for like 20 minutes yeah roughly 20 minutes yeah and he's only in four scenes with with her well yeah and so really it's a, a a thriller that has her at the core it's her um you know starting out taking this chance to um well, meet an interesting character, really. That's all yeah. her brief is. And by the end of it, she's solving a massive uh, manhunt, you know. Mm. Um, which is. And saving a woman. And saving the woman. And it all seems, um, you know, weirdly enough, it, it, it works. You know, it, it, it's plausible just about that this uh, student uh, becomes the, the, the lead, you know, the person who cracks the case. Yeah. And everyone, like, I mean, there's moments where. You know, doc, the narcissistic Dr. Chilton like looks at her as like almost like a sexual object. Like, you know, I've never seen an FBI woman who's never who's attractive before, yeah. and undermines her in every sense when he hears about this little fake deal with Hannibal Lecter, and he just kind of jumps in and says, "Like, I just talked to Senator Martin, and she never even heard of a deal with you." Like the way that he, yeah, oh, he's so oleaginous, and yeah. it's, it's it's such a great payoff at the end when uh, spoiler alert. Um, Hannibal hunts him down yeah. and sort of follows and you know exactly what's going to happen and it's terrible that you're sitting there rubbing your hands with glee knowing that this serial killer is going to uh, have his have man. his way with his uh, yeah with yeah. this character um yeah it there are so many wonderful performances in that and I think the guy who plays Chilton's great I really like uh, Scott Glenn he's one of my favorite actors from Jack this era Crawford. Yeah, he plays Jack Crawford. He worked a lot with uh, John Douglas, who was an FBI agent in the behavioral uh, science unit. And they were really uh, well involved in the film, like giving them a lot of good feedback. And they were very uh, appreciative of the film once it was released. Like it gave a good idea of the work that they did. Because, you know, I think it was around the late 60s, the, the term serial killer was coined by them. Oh, right. It wasn't batted around for at all until they started this thing where they looked at the evidence. Like this is where criminal profiling started, right? Because there was it was a, it was in New York, and there was a murder of a woman who was raped and murdered in a stairwell, and they found like the only evidence that they have was a pubic hair on her leg. Nah, sorry, this, we're going to get a bit 
graphic graphic with the dialogue yeah of, i think well sorry. yeah <laughs> and um there's no, there's no way of just talking about serial killings especially this film which is so sexually charged yeah um there's yeah Anyway, Go for it. Yeah. Pubes. But, and uh, they, the only person that they sort of, as you do when a white woman is killed, you go for, like, I mean, the 60s, like, they naturally assumed well, it, was, it, was it was a black, was a black guy. It was several black guys. It was a black guy. Oh, and God. the investigation went on for six months and they didn't get anywhere. And then the FBI came in and actually helped revolutionize uh, this, this, this way of catching criminals. And Did they get him then? Yeah, they got him. They actually got him. Was guy. he a black guy? Uh, no, he was white. Take that, prejudice. And uh, a very secluded author by the name of Thomas Harris, who wrote all the Hannibal Lecter books. Big TH. He worked with the FBI and was able to see into their world and looked at a lot of cases, including uh, the butcher of Plainfield himself, Ed Gein, who was also uh, inspiration for Norman Bates in Psycho and uh, Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, he's got a lot to answer for in terms of cinema baddies. Yeah, Ed Gein was... Uh, an interesting guy who um, w- there was a moment in, I think it was late 50s a police officer was looking for a missing store owner and he was a very secluded guy didn't live in the town he lived all the way out this is in Wisconsin's and this is the store owner who's this, so sort of recluse. this is the store owner who's no no this is Ed Gein Ed, yeah. this store owner had just gone missing so this police officer was trying to, to look for her so he went to Ed Gein's house uh, nothing was there and he went inside and basically found like a carnival of horrors that a Hollywood production designer couldn't couldn't possibly have designed. He found like a woman's face. Oh god! So yeah, he went to uh, I think he went to a mental institution after that. The was police officer? No, Ed Gein. Oh right. I was going to say you wouldn't blame the police officer for being a bit like traumatized. But he 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 did like he he put like oil on the face so that it stayed like that, and he would so he's like embalming them, embalming almost. it almost, and he would put like things around the lips and the eyes and stuff so it like very much like Leatherface and also because he would walk around like Norman Bates's mum and stuff so yeah it's it's creepy it is very creepy (laughs) I don't like it but I just want to start off with with Hannibal Lecter really quickly because Hannibal Lecter is probably one of the greatest screen villains of all time and his presence is is there throughout the entire film you always feel like he's around especially when she's going off to like find buffalo bill oh yeah because he he gets inside her head yeah and uh really early on and kind of telepathically guides her into her he's not actually got a vested interest in uh solving the case but he engineers it in such a way that he can escape. uses this case to escape in in that sense uh that's the price they pay for catching Buffalo Bill is, is losing one to gain the yeah, other. releasing Hannibal into the wild. Um, and in very, it, I think it's really evident in certain scenes, such as the one where she goes to the um, storage facility and your finds the, yeah, your, look deep inside yourself. Mm. Um, and then um, the scene where she's in the girl's house, you know, and she finds the music box and everything. Uh, and it's like, yeah. it's that he's taught her to break open that music box yeah. and look for those photos. Stuff that the FBI wouldn't have no told her. To do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like really, just get into you know, get under the skin of these people, and that is, uh, yeah, that's massively Lecter just sort of giving her those tools to uh, understand these people. He makes her trust herself and her own instincts, and he sort of like you know go deeper. Like that scene when he says, "What does this man do? You seek? He kills women? No." And it's like goes. There's the cabinet again. <laughs> yeah, he's just no sister. <laughs> He kind of just makes her sort of think about it, and it, it's it's a really it, you, yeah, it, challenges her. It's a very wonderful relationship, and it's almost like a love story brewing with them. He is affectionate of her, even though at first he calls her you know poor white trash West Virginia. Yeah, uh, yeah, a rube. A rube. Um, yeah, the, I mm. mainly I think it is it is I, a kind of a love story, I suppose, but it's also kind of not. It's a, there's something very. There's nothing. There's, I don't think it ever goes as far as paternal in him, mm. but there is that which she does lack in the film, like because she has yeah she obviously fathers. she's lost a father figure yeah oh and lost a father not just father figure I, I think really it's it's it, you know Crawford is that he plays the paternal figure although I think really she just sees Crawford as a means to an end insofar as he's her boss yeah um, but it's interesting at the end of the film when Electra escapes and Electra 
No, where Lecter. Oh, I thought you said Electra. No. Um, <laughs> uh, when when Lecter escapes and uh, and she says, "Oh, he won't come after me." I can't explain why, but he would consider that rude. I think that doesn't hint so much at a as a, at a, at a, a romantic relationship, but, but it's it a sort of yeah. It's 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 like they've sized each other up, and which they of, do in the yeah, first scene. Yeah, they're like two. Um, uh, swordsmen and they've sort of had their joust yeah. and their and their and their fight and now they've sort of stepped back and nodded and respectfully. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I would. But but it is interesting because there's something incredibly intimate and sometimes erotic, uh, like when he slips her or she slips him the note at the end, the last time they see each other, and he sort of brushes her hand. Yeah, it's when she goes to grab the case file. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and, and he, he, he rubs her. Yeah, brushes finger, brushes brush, her hand. Yeah. yeah, people will say that we're in love. Mm. Yeah, so it's 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 a really um, yeah it's it's a lot. I remember the first time I saw the film, just every one of those scenes just mm. wrapped, hooked on the edge of my seat, and I I look forward to them so much when I watch uh, when I rewatch it, which I do frequently. But that's why the film works, yeah, because of that relationship, yeah, and because also it's just a really exciting thriller because the guy they're trying to catch is also a really bad guy. I mean, mm. Buffalo Bill, the way he's played by um, Ted Levine, by Ted Levine is is. He's magnificent. He's a, he's a great baddie. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was his first move as well. <laughs> was she a big fat girl? <laughs> of course you can use my phone. Precious. <laughs> don't hurt my dog. <laughs> you don't know what pain is. <laughs> uh, I mean... It's really creeping. Coming back, <laughs> it's going to be creeping out the listeners. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, what God, the fuck is going yeah. on with these guys? Uh, I think they love this film a bit too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I like well, about... let's talk about serial killer some more. <laughs> but I like, just coming back to Lecter, mm. when you first hear about him, you get a few bit of details about him. He's a psychiatrist, and the second thing that we hear is that he's got a nickname, Hannibal the Cannibal. Yeah. And then Chilton says, oh, he's a monster, pure psychopath, and everything. And then you get a sense that when she's going down, and he's like, do not touch the glass, do not approach the glass. If he gives you anything, do not accept it. No pens, needles, anything like that. Yeah. And then, and then, a, then there's the friendly guy, Barney. Barney. But Who's Bar- in The Wire? He's the guy from yeah, The Wire. Yeah, he's, yeah. The, he's the police chief in The Wire. But Barney is the other guy who Lecter will never go after because Barney, at least, he, he knows who he is and respects him. Yeah. And is that thing where she's approaching his, his pen and he, yeah. she goes past like a, a weird guy and he goes past Migs with like, it's Billy your cunt. And, yeah. then, uh, and then finds Lecter there standing waiting for her. Yeah, he just says, good morning. <laughs> is that good morning? Good evening? What is it? No, he says, good morning. All mm. oh, right. And yeah, oh, yeah cuz you were getting all very precise about this before. <laughs> of course. And uh you know, like that scene when she gets a photo of the nurse that he mangled, I would say. Yeah. And he says like his pulse never got over 85 even when he was eating her tongue. So you get a sense you're going to get you're going to you're going to get a, an Ed Gein looking person cuz I've seen photos of Ed Gein. He is a very like creepy looking kind of dude yeah and when you see Anthony Hopkins and when I mean I was watching a documentary about it which was on you remember the biography channel in on that we had oh this? yeah yeah they had this thing going where it was called it, the, the, the one first one I saw which was Halloween the inside story and then they had one about Scream and it was a, about the Silence of the Lambs and they were talking about Hannibal Lecter because a lot of people were very unsure of Anthony Hopkins because he was like this you know ooh, this you know limey English guy as, as Anthony Hopkins uh, pronounced it but the way that you know and you hear all these descriptions that we've just said but when you see Anthony Hopkins play that you instantly go like oh I see what they've done because Hannibal Lecter is a very courteous man mm-hmm. he's educated and he's he makes you the first time when you see him he makes you like him that's the thing and that's what psychopaths do and that's psychopaths what, and that's what make you want yeah. to yeah make you want to be their friend they re- they just um yeah, they're very good at that. They're very good yeah. at manipulating people. They don't repulse people, quite the opposite. But that's what, I mean, there was a, another serial killer who, uh, Ted Bundy, he was also a very educated person. He was a good-looking man, and he was described by one FBI agent from the behavioral, uh, behavioral science unit as the guy next door. And he was like... <laughs> you can imagine if Ted Bundy was the guy next door. Oh, um, I'd reinforce that fucking door. <laughs> lock it. Yes. Uh, and um, close that door. And <laughs> hi, Dougie. Uh, <laughs> so, and when Ted Buddy, uh, T- Ted Buddy, uh, Ted Bundy was um, arrested, he was arrested the first time. He was driving his car, and a police officer stopped him. And he because um, why is your trunk full of people's legs? <laughs> no, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't that. He uh, he just found a bunch a bunch of 
like gloves and then he saw like a lead pipe sitting next Ugh, to him. That's so creepy. Gloves and a pipe. <laughs> that's something you'd never want to find. And uh, he, it's like that Dana Gould thing of like, you know, you have a one night stand with a guy if you're a girl and you open the cupboard and there's a full clown costume just hanging there. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, Ted Bundy was arrested, but he was adamant about saying, I didn't do anything and played this around for a while. And I think six months later, he got a hacksaw from a jail cellmate and escaped and then started killing people again oh for god's sake and he was put on trial and it was televised like the oj simpson trial and a lot of people they just looked at him going like i i don't believe that he's a serial killer he's he's such a good looking guy no he didn't kill anyone Mm. and that was the mistake that that brought it into the public because it could be it could be anybody that's that that's the scary thing about it and that's the thing with hannibal lecter he's he just doesn't give i mean he does but like if you met him at a party and you really liked him, you wouldn't expect him to be a cannibalistic psychopath. No, until he opens your head and starts using yeah. your brains, and at which point it's a bit late. Um, no, of course, and uh, that's the beauty of this uh, film in the way that you don't expect this small, polite, young woman to be as absolutely fucking brass balls kick-ass as she is. Mm. Uh, you don't expect the... Her, you don't expect this uh, soft-spoken, funny... Uh, you know, razor sharp man to be um, yeah. a, a brutal psychopath, but then you you actually get to see him perpetrating violence at one point, and it is Where remarkable. They you are Sergeant Pembry. Yeah, and 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 it really is remarkable how believable it suddenly becomes, and what a shock it is. You know, yeah, Chilton um, fucked up. He certainly did that. Yeah, but the bit where I love how he he doesn't really hear his own advice. He he leaves a pen lying on a bed. But the, the thing is, I, when I was watching the film, yeah, again, oh yeah, he, he, he's absolutely. I love it. It's ironic punishment. Yeah, and I love the fact, like you know, when they get to Memphis and uh, they meet the senator and yeah. Doyle, the guys that are there, and he's looking for his pen. I naturally would have assumed he would have remembered that he did. Well, he's an oaf. That's yeah, the whole no, point of that yeah. character. He's, he's, a, he's an absolute idiot. I also love the fact that the guy who plays Doyle, the guy whose face he bashes in and then makes it look, and then he disembowels him when he's hanging him across. Oh the yeah, page yeah, like yeah. Jesus, that's the guy. That's Charles Napier from uh, Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. We're the good old boys. Yeah. I would, You're going to look real funny trying to eat corn on the cob with no fucking teeth. <laughs> I would have loved that if they just like put that reference in there yeah. somehow. Mr. Lecter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at that. Wonder what he wants for breakfast. <laughs> A zoo? Mm. But it, it's interesting looking at, you know, in that scene when you see Barney, who is kind and respectful of who Hannibal Lecter is, and then when you see these two guys who don't respect who he is and not they don't have an idea what's about to happen to them yeah they don't have an idea like when they put him on the ground and like handcuff him and he's got the little pen thing to like open up and then he says mind the drawings and then they wrap it all up and while Charles Napier who plays Doyle is doing that Pembry is just you know he's got his back turned idiots yeah no. and then it all goes down yeah and, and he manages and, and, it, and I, every time when I watch that escape, escape sequence I'm, I'm just like I'm always quite like of Hannibal Lecter of the way he does it yeah it's also terrifying it is terrifying yeah cause I mean like, there's that there's that realisation where every single time I've showed this to a um, a person who hasn't seen it before there's the scene in the ambulance and it dawns on the audience about mm. uh, three seconds before it dawns on the guy in the ambulance where Hannibal actually is yeah Oh, <laughs> just like but there's ah. another but there's another moment like that when the the FBI goes to that house in Illinois and they think that's where Jamie Gum is and then that that, that sort of panning in shot on Scott Glenn when he says Clarice and then they yeah. realise that she mistakenly has gone to the real Ding location dong, hello there but that, <laughs> but that again is a wonderful sequence and that the way that they that whole sequence is edited you believe that they're outside his house and then when he goes to the door and you see Clarice it's just one of those like whoa shit yeah don't I, go into the house <laughs> it is brilliant yeah oh the really funny thing is I gotta tell you about this you know the moths the moths yeah, yeah the moths that uh uh, Buffalo Bill has the ones with the little yeah they're, they're real. skull on the back yeah the fu- this is really funny I was they, they talked about this on the documentary because they were shooting the whole film in Pittsburgh and they were fighting this big snowstorm throughout the entire shoot and they brought these uh, moths from I think it was Africa or South America and by the time they got there the cold temperature they just died oh god and then Jonathan Demi just had this whole big box full of moths and they were just dead so they got like some some other ones and what they they <laughs> gave got, them little moth coats yeah they gave them like they put the they, <laughs> little hats and little scarves little earmuffs yeah making sure that they had coffee and tea throughout yeah, the set a bit of bovril and uh, they they glued the 
the skull or this thing on the back of them. But the problem was the glue, it, uh, it made them just go like this. They were stuck. They couldn't do anything, and so they had to find a way. Again, to Anders them. using the uh, visual medium of the podcast to full effect there. Uh, yes, go like this. Well done, mate. Yeah, they go. Uh, they, 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 so they can't move their flat. So this film wings. was basically a moth holocaust. Yeah, basically. Like, Jesus, a real. You know, like, we need more moths. I just sent you three thousand of them. Well, we need some. More. We fucked up. Sorry. <laughs> we decided to shoot here in the cold. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, a lot of the times people looked at Jonathan Demi and the films that he did before. And thought, is this guy capable of doing a creepy, scary film where the audience is on the edge of their seat? And you know what he did? Yeah. And, and guess what? He won an Oscar for it. Yeah. There was a. <clears throat> After the film came out, there was some criticism by certain quarters saying that it was somehow homophobic. Oh, towards Buffalo Bill. Yeah, there uh, was. A, the LGBT community did protest against that. But I think, I don't, you know, watching the film with my 21st century looking out for stuff that's a bit dodgy hat on, mm. I don't think the film. At any point, claims uh, you know anything other than you know the you know this the, this guy wants to make a woman's suit yeah and uh, and yeah that is inherently misogynistic and horrible and I think the fact that they you know, put in that scene I think the problem that people have is the scene where he's dancing around trying to transform himself goodbye horses yes um, would you is, fuck me yeah it's, uh, and then uh, yeah the um, I don't. I think probably what's more, what the protest would would spring out of more is that perception that um, you know any kind of homosexuality or sexual deviance, as Mm. they would describe it, uh, would lead to this behaviour. And and so I think it's almost like the the protest against against the perception by the uh, the sort of establishment or the you know the straight majority or whatever, like the sort of overarching idea that. you know, once you're uh, once you deviate from the normal course of things, you're on a slippery slope. Maybe that's what. But I, I honestly, I don't see the film as being anything. I don't really think any, it's there's no homophobic or, anything and, about it at all. And I tell you what, it's it's also a, a, you know we talk a lot on this podcast about issues of gender equality and good female characters, of which there are an embarrassing few yeah. in the films that we've talked about. But here's one we can add to the list. And actually, I feel that you know, I we've talked. You know, when we were discussing Ray on in Star Wars and stuff, how we didn't think uh, at all to bring bring up Jodie Foster because she's yeah she absolutely fits into that I completely forgot about uh, yeah same uh, you know we, we, we talked about Ripley and Alien obviously but yeah, um, that's like Jodie Foster's yeah. Clarice Starling is a fantastic creation and she just owns that role she's fantastic mm. at it uh, I read a really good interview with her in the latest uh, issue of Empire where she's talking about it and you know talking about she's how she's very proud of the movie yeah prior to this she was playing a lot of victims you know there was where a, she won an award for the accused yeah exactly she's a rape victim in that and and I think it's nice for her to get to play the saviour this time around. Yeah. Uh, and but that but that people expected she's the her. Travis Bickle in this film. Yeah, but but people expected her because of her previous roles to be a victim. Mm. And uh, and actually, the film opens with her running through the forest on in in what uh, almost looks like course, yeah, yeah. But in that first shot, you could almost believe that someone is chasing her. Yeah, that's how it sort of slowly out, yeah. it slowly dawns on us that she's just yeah she's fine. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, but yeah, I think that the film sets that yeah. up and, and with a more assertive, perhaps a, a taller, more striking looking actress like perhaps Michelle Pfeiffer. We wouldn't Michelle have felt, Pfeiffer no, it wouldn't have worked that, no. at all. I don't think, I can't think of that many other actresses who would have, apart from, funnily enough, someone like Daisy Ridley or uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, the, the other one, the one that's in the new, what's her name? Um, oh, uh, Felicity Jones. Felicity Jones, someone like that. Someone, you know, um, with, who sort of, dainty but has a, who has a sort of strength and a sort of iron mm. uh, to her yeah, just, yeah I, think, I mean oh, Jodie Foster and her her accent which is so good like she's, yeah, she he did. does such a great job with that West Virginia uh, yeah she voice. did she did have to work on the accent quite a bit because I was like Demi was like he- hearing like this California Valley girl when she was on these scenes he was learning, <laughs> trying to say lose more of the accent yeah and but just coming back to that, uh, what you were just talking about, you know, in the scene, I mean, coming back to the scene with Hannibal Lecter when she meets him for the first time and he makes fun of her, of her accent and her upbringing, which uh, Anthony Hopkins did improvise on the day, and she got a very, they got a very honest reaction out of her, and she, and she felt very hurt by it, but in a good way, like she did thank uh, Anthony Hopkins to, you know, for for doing that, but. You know when he, you know, he goes in and says like, you know, with your cheap shoes, you're like a rube. And then she comes back at him 
again and saying like, "Oh, you're so smart and all that." I can't remember exactly what she said, but she she has a oh she goes toe she to has toe an answer him. to him. Oh and yeah, I think and I think even that bit where Anthony Hopkins is standing there before he does his little fly 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 thing back after the FBI with you and you know it, I think if if they didn't have that, I think she probably would have been a bit of a pushover and would have been easily manipulated. But looking at the film again, I think she almost does it to to get answers from him because I think she's she's running out of time and she's trying to save this woman's life and I think she almost kind of gives in to you know Lecter's quid pro quo well yeah but she convinces herself that the only way for them to get to the bottom of this is somehow to um, to, for Lecter to solve the case for them yeah Um, and that's that's kind of which is what a rookie error it's it's, it's the kind of error that someone in their early 20s or wherever would make uh, Mm. to think that there's one answer and that they've stumbled on it whereas there are a myriad ways of solving uh, this problem. Um, they did actually go to real serial killers. I think Ted Bundy would actually helped out. Um, I think it was. I think right. <laughs> Back to him, uh, Robert uh, Knepper, who was a professor, and I can't remember where, but he they he they spoke a lot because he helped with um, solving the Green River uh, killings, and even and even after when he was caught, he made a deal to avoid the death penalty by, you know, because he was arrested for killing four women. I think they mo- I think a few of them were prostitutes and he the police believed that he had killed more. So they tried to in- interview him and they went to places that he said like they had a video in this documentary that I saw about uh, the real life uh, story behind uh, Science of the Lambs and he you know they have the recording where he's just sitting around going yeah, I think it might have been here but yeah it, it was dark. And the only way they could actually get any information out of him was a woman uh, criminal pro- profiler went in there and got all the information that they needed. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot more than four. How many? Uh, round about maybe between 30, 40 women. Holy fucking mackerel! Yeah. Jesus! What happened to him? Did he, he didn't get the death penalty. No, he didn't get the death penalty. He made a, Good. Deal, he made a deal so that he... Death penalty bad. He, he made a deal politics. so that he would... Um, uh, be sentenced to life. Well, yeah, he's probably five lives. Um, yeah. Well, should we should we get back to that? Yeah. Really? yeah. Um, my, a really good film. Like, really, I really absolutely film. five stars deserved all the praise it gets and um, won all the big five. Yeah, and Best. it stands up to to all the um, you know the ravages of time, and I think a huge influence on some of the Scandi crime we see because it is very dark. Yeah, I think it's a big influence on the killing, for example, the the Danish uh, TV show. I'd uh, say it's a big influence on. Um, Seven, it has that same quality to it. Yeah, I've not seen Seven, but I both, can believe that. Both have very interesting production designs where you really, you know, I mean, like when they go into Buffalo Bill's basement, you really are going on a bit of a tour around this guy's head. Yeah, and especially the scenes there's in, so, in so Seven many, when you there's go... There's so many bad things in that basement. Yeah, I know, I, I forgot about a lot of them. There's a bit where she goes into the bathroom and sees, like, Mrs. Lippman, I think, in the bathtub, and I'm just kind of like, oh, God, I forgot about that. That's horrifying. Ugh, yeah, like, that is, like, that is like. true. It's like you can always smell it. It's fucking awful. Yeah, it's like watching the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> But um, and but yeah, it's, it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant film. But unfortunately, they it didn't, got kind they of didn't, uh, they didn't they didn't follow it up very well. Did yeah, they? I mean, they in the documentary that I watched last night about the the Inside Story one, they preparation. Jonathan like Demi did look at Hannibal the book, and he was like, I don't actually think I could do this film because he didn't like the direction that the relationship between. Uh, with uh, Clarice and Hannibal went, and I think that's the problem with the the, the Hannibal uh, Ridley Scott film. Not just because uh, Jodie Foster and Ted Talley didn't come back, and then they replaced her with uh, Julianne Moore, who's a great actress, who's a great actress, just just not it, that you, know, you that, that dynamic yeah. that works really well between Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster was was lacking. And here they come, don't here come the police. <laughs> yeah, no, no, oh, no, we're good. We got away with it. And. Um, yeah, and also, like, when they read Thomas Harris's book, it was very... Uh, there were a lot of what they said excessive is. Exce- it was very excessive. Excessive is. Yeah, it's... <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, but, but they even then they didn't keep a lot of that from a lot of the weird stuff from the book. But it yeah, still ends of, up being yeah. an excessive and weird film. Yeah, it, I mean the book. I mean I haven't read it. I mean from what I've read, the, the Clarice like the, the bit where they kidnap Paul Crendel, who Ray Liotta plays in the movie. Like she feeds, she's fed some of his brain. And then by the end of the film, they're in like South America when Barney witnesses them and like Anthony Hopkins like thanks no not Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter like thanks him for all uh, all his uh, you know the way that he treated him when he was in the Baltimore hospital. How weird! Yeah, and it's very, what's the, Barney doing in South America? Well, there's one sequence in the in the book which I'm very glad they didn't put in the film. There's a moment where he drugs Clarice. Who's this? This is in Hannibal. This is in. So the, who, who drugs Clarice? Uh, Hannibal did. All right. And he takes. Not Barney. Her, <laughs> he, he gets her father's bones, and he drugs her so that she ha- pretends that she has this conversation with her dad, so she can say goodbye. And that was a moment that was in the. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't write it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's just completely. What? It's like as he's got a little glove puppet with the skull. Like, Hello, I'm <laughs> your dead father. <laughs> Did you catch any bad guys, Daddy? No, they were gone. <laughs> you need to. The lambs need to stop. Oh shit! My mouth has fallen off. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I, I mean that that line have the lambs stop screaming. I think you, you know throughout the entire film she's trying to. Oh, but come that back. scene where she tells yeah. the story is Which so good. They did. They did talk to the girl who plays the young Clarice Starling. We might actually shoot a sequence where we go to Montana and have you running in a field with a lamb. And then while they were shooting the, the scene and looking at the dailies... Oh, don't tell me, this film's record on Animal, what, the lamb exploded or something? No, it, it wasn't that. They were just sort of, they were just looking at it going, we cannot cut away from these performances. No, absolutely And not. then they were like, I guess we're not going to Montana. Sorry, little girl. But they were happy to go to the Bahamas and go to a warm country for the ending sequence. Oh, yeah, really? (laughs) (laughs) Mm. But, uh, yeah, back to Hannibal. Hannibal is a... Yeah, I was watching a few clips of it last night. It is a very strange film. I kind of of defended the film a little bit. You were... I did. I think it's boring. You, you didn't it's, like, it's, it's it dull, runs out of steam. Of it. It, it, it never had any steam. I, I think it's just a puddle. <laughs> I liked all the scenes in Florence. I don't know why they were the most. I, I, there was a bit it's, of a romantic side to it. I don't know why. I I, I just kind of Florence. Liked it. Florence is lovely, yeah. but like, it's not. It's not. It's not a setting for anything. It's 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 it takes all that you know. The campness of the first film was that you know was a benefit to it. Those like bitchy little lines he has, and the fact mm. that he is kind of like, you know. Hilarious, you know, yeah. he's, he's sort of smooth and 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 whips, but, but, but on this one, but he's this, a little this bit one, more, he's, yeah. he, this one, he's just kind of like queening about, you know, he's it's it's like over bows the top. in or bows out, yeah. Oh, you're confused. Well, let me decide for you. Ciao, and then throws him across, and then guts go everywhere, like, yeah, which oh, pff, 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 you know, it's it's nah, but I tell you what, I think Red Dragon, yeah, is pretty good. Um, I was watching a YouTube uh, video that's uh, this guy called the Nostalgic Critic. He was comparing Manhunter to Red Dragon, looking at the both interpretations of uh, Will Graham, who in Manhunter was played by William Peterson, who played uh, Grissom in CSI Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And, you know, Edward Norton plays him in the film. And he was looking at how the different portrayals uh, went. He, th- he felt like William Peterson was a lot more believable as someone who was really being affected by going deep into the psychology of what this killer did to these families in the film and I think with Edward Norton it wasn't I think it was a lot le- it was a bit bit more brooding I would say yeah and I also they have uh, Ray Fiennes who's a yeah classic, a, a, a very classic good actor, psychopath yeah. I mean and he also you know you see him and you're like oh yeah this guy definitely kills people yeah you know who directed Red Dragon new no. the same director who did the Rush Hour films interesting <laughs> I just it was it's weird how we, like different films that directors yeah. too, and actually I, I would say Red Dragon is actually a very good it's a very well made film but yeah I think it's a really good I, I think it does fall a little bit onto the side of familiarity. And, uh yeah yeah it's not it's not a classic not in the same way Science of the Lambs is but it, it is definitely a step up from Hannibal which is just a fucking garbage yeah and I, also the prequel that he did Hannibal Rising is also a like a lot of the fans they don't they ignore that film and the book as well. They looked at his backstory because his backstory with Hannibal is that he witnessed a German a, a German soldiers who had deserted their posts who uh, came acro- across his family home and ate his sister in front of him. So that's sort of that. Uh, oh, that's so lame. Gives a reason for why he eats people and stuff. Well, that's, uh, that's 
<laughs> I think that's pretty crap to be yeah, honest. That's pretty good. And then uh, what the t- about the the TV show? You watched that? I I did watch that. I was very upset that they cancelled it because I think they got into a very good rhythm in season two. Because you saw a bit of season one with me. I think you only watched the first episode. Yeah, I watched and the first episode. It was interesting, but I don't know. It didn't really see it was where very, it was going. It was very stylized. I think that was the thing with the show. There was a lot of weird, cool, stylish things that they, stylish choices that they made, especially with the, you know, with all these bits with the fucking stags and stuff. I thought that bit was just like crazy, and um, but there was so, but there was a, something appealing about it that I really liked. Yeah, it, was, I, it was very good looking. It was very, yeah, yeah, yeah. very well made. It was very extremely well made, and the performances were good, but. Um, it was a bit short on story. Yeah, I think the first season was a villain a week series. It was like catch this serial killer while Hannibal Lecter manipulates Will Graham, and then by the end, Will. Will I liked the twist that Will Graham ends up in the asylum, and Hannibal Lecter is on the other side of the glass. I thought that was a interesting twist, and how they ended that. And then season two, it begins where Crawford, played by Morpheus uh, Lawrence Fishburne him and Mass Miggerson who plays Lecter they get into a huge fight and then it flashes back a few months before so you see how it builds up to it so I thought that was a great hook into it and I thought the way season 2 ends was extremely like mind-blowing and then he ends up on the run with uh, Agent uh, Agent Scully from uh, the X-Files Gillian Anderson and then season 3 begins in Florence and they mix around the books a little bit uh, like he had like Brian Fuller the guy who created the show he had an idea of where the series was going to go had it not been cancelled he had a seven season sort of plan oh god so the first three seasons were original material based off the books and then season four was going to be about Red Dragon then it was going to be Silence of the Lambs then it was going to be Hannibal and then season seven would just end it but uh, didn't exactly have strong ratings uh, I think the producer Dino uh, De Laurentiis or someone oh no he was dead at this point uh, someone uh, in the Laurentiis family accused piracy of the reason why the show got cancelled because yeah easy to download things and yeah I mean I, I, I've only seen a half of the uh, of the third season and it begins in Florence and then it ends with him getting arrested and then the last like six or seven episodes are them trying to get the tooth fairy so it's the whole red dragon the tooth remake. fairy the Tooth Fairy, that's the name of the serial killer in Red Dragon. Oh. Mm. Not the... <laughs> fairy. Not the Tooth Fairy that's played by The Rock. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie. Nor, unsurprisingly, yeah. have I. Well, that's the, uh, that's the story of Hannibal and stuff, but besides the lands. It's a fantastic Towers movie. Yeah. I think you can wash away all that other nonsense and really just focus on Silence of the Lambs. It is such a... A wonderful film. When we were in film school, we really studied that film mainly on character and writing. And I think that is a film you could easily study. Like, just watch the film, stop it, and then, exp- like, look at little character motivations and things. I think that's such a... I think it's a film that every, anybody, everybody should well, watch. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's very... It's profoundly well-directed. I think things like the sound design are very good, the music, the way that that sort of hollow sound that plays in the, um, How in the prison sequence. Yeah, the, is very, it, there's a lot of influence there on later stuff. Um, Cinematography is very good. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, would you say everything else is in place? So I give it a big, fat 10 out of 10, really. Yeah. recommendations now I am going to recommend you a French film from the 1960s uh, early 1960s I think it was released in uh, the beginning of of that decade and that is Eyes Without a Face oh I know this one I haven't seen it yet but I really really want I've actually got it and I'm going to watch it um, very soon because I've seen um, Mark Gattis did his excellent documentary on European horror a few years ago for the BBC and there's a long sequence about this Um, also 
I reckon this is a film title that would work very well in a Geordie accent. Eyes without a fierce. Eyes without a fierce. 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 For, for people... Fierce. For people who fierce. are... For people I'm who gonna, are... I'm gonna, what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, start that over. Uh, for people who have fierce. not... Fierce. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> for people who have not seen Eyes Without a Fierce, um, it is about a, a doctor who loses his uh, wife uh, in a car accident and then also... Well, I, no, actually, his wife dies uh, before the movie start, uh, starts and his daughter supposedly has died in a car accident when he was driving erratically as it's described and while this is going on on the anniversary of her death a body is washed up and the face is missing and he uh, recognizes it as his daughter (laughs) and he takes the body and they bury it in his family uh, cemetery uh, cemetery plot don't don't spoil spoil the whole thing but you find out that she is actually alive and throughout the entire film she wears this very ghostly blank white mask mm. and it, it creates this I can't remember the name of the actress who plays it but she's so good in the film and it, it's such a very haunting ghostly and sad beautiful yeah, performance yeah like uncanny yeah. kind of thing going on it's raw yeah. and, 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 and I've seen a few clips from it and he's trying to recreate who she was in a very obsessive, uh, obsessive way, and Alida Valley, his uh, secretary, goes <gasps> from around, the third man. Yeah, she goes around Paris kidnapping young students who have the similar sort of face. Yes, the fierce. And uh, it, it, a film that, when it came out, uh, it divided uh, critics and people. Uh, uh, some people liked it. Some people thought it was uh, disgusting, as it does show uh, showcase a very graphic. A very graphic film for, the, for a film that was made in in the 1960s of, of a woman's uh, face being peeled. And then 30 years later, face off. Yes. So, have you seen The Great Dictator? The Charlie Chaplin film? Yes. No. Ah. That is a marvellous film. Um, it is incredibly moving. I had not seen that coming. And it's um, it has some sequences that are a bit dated, yes. Uh, but it is a powerful... Um, political satire and has a very um, important message at its core and is um, deeply anti-fascist and sadly um, this provoked uh, a lot of um, reaction from the American establishment and the law enforcement community and really? you know, a lot of the anti-communist stuff that swelled around Chaplin later started with this film simply because of it well, being blacklist, an anti-fascist stuff. Stuff. Yeah, an anti-fascist statement uh, so but a really good film the final speech is incredibly incredibly moving and I mm. thoroughly recommend you uh, you watch that and then uh, there's a really good episode of um, the excellent film podcast um, you must, must remember yeah. this where uh, um, she talks about that. Yeah, she she, she talks about. Um, is that in that the, series the where they're talking about the blacklist? I'm not sure. No, I think that's earlier on. There's the one oh, about okay. Charlie Chaplin, which is which is fantastic. Um, so uh, yeah, that would be my recommendation. So I use without a fierce and the great dictator. The great dictator. <laughs> I'm sorry, Geordie people. <laughs> so birthdays now. Happy birthday to uh, the Rock himself, Dwayne Johnson. God. Who uh, who actually has a career somehow? As yeah, an actor. As a, How, as a, I mean, this is like as a wrestler, he has a career. Yeah, but he also has an, a career as an actor. Yeah, which is insane. He's not an actor. But he's he's making like three films at once. He's in like the new Baywatch film. He's going to be oh, in- the new Baywatch. That's all you need to fucking say. Is like, oh, I, don't I hear he's playing Hamlet. No, he's in fucking Baywatch. And now he's doing. He did he did a film that came out last year called San Andreas, which is basically another earthquake film where California just gets blown up. The thing is, and guys, now they're, they're doing San Andreas two. Stop making films where the west coast falls into the sea because guess what it's going to happen any day now and we're going to have it all over the news and that's going to be yeah. way more uh, ap- apocalyptic those, those films really feel like they're just going up to fate and I don't just giving it that. a good old tempt it's when you like see like action films where London blows up especially when we were living yeah, but there London's not in any danger of blowing up seriously the way that that tectonic plate is working its way at the moment mm. the, the west coast of the United States is about to fall into the sea I'm not joking yeah, yeah. and to make matters worse Yellowstone Park could blow up at any second because yeah, there's a volcano the size of like 
Alabama lurking underneath it. Uh, uh, that so, happens in the, the Roland, uh, Roland Emmerich uh, disaster film 2012. Well, exactly. They keep making these movies. They're like, just wait for it to happen, guys. Seriously, because it's, it's, it's coming right up. Like, uh, there was a Robin, Robin Williams did like a really funny... He was talking about uh, like people in the South dealing with hurricanes and stuff, and he it was like making fun of them. And then he said, like, I can't really talk. I live on God's edgy sketch. Uh, happy birthday to... Uh, David Suchet, the wonderful actor who plays the the suave Belgian super sleuth Hercule uh, Poirot. Yeah, he's good. He was that was a TV show from the, that was it was in the nineties. He played Poirot, yeah. and he was he was really good at it. Um, I was also the bad guy in Executive Decision, which we've yeah. talked about before on the podcast. Yeah, just wouldn't expect him to be the bad guy in that. But he does a good job. Yeah, he does a very good job. Uh, happy birthday to probably one of the uh, uh, one of the most famous uh, athletes of all time, David Beckham. Ah, oh, feedback. I saw his last. I saw him play uh, his last game for England um, at Wembley in two thousand nine, ten, I think it was. And um, yeah, he was an absolutely incredible footballer. Um, mm. Despite being an Arsenal fan, huge admir- admiration for the man. Can't say a bad word about him. Uh, happy birthday to Elizabeth Berridge. She uh, played Mozart's wife in Amadeus. Wolfie. He. And she played Amy Harper in the Toby Hooper slasher film uh, The Fun House. Right. The film is about four teenagers going into a theme park in the middle of the night, and then one guy gets the idea of saying, Hey, why don't we spend the night in the fun house? Yeah, and then they realize that great idea. It's, it's, it, it doesn't work out. No. And there's a great moment at the end of the film where there's like outside the fun house, there's like this fat woman uh, machine robot. Was she a big fat girl? <laughs> Was she a big fat person? And she like like has this really kind of like. <laughs> So Elizabeth Barrett, she's the uh, final girl in the slasher film. She survives. She comes out. It's daytime. She's just like survived this whole horrible night and all her friends are dead. And then this mechanical fat lady starts singing. So and then it goes into credits. So basically it was Toby Hooper's way of saying it's not over until the fat lady sings. Oh, that's a... Oh, <laughs> oh for heaven's sake. Oh, I kind of begrudgingly have to admire that. <laughs> I mean, coming from the guy who did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's pretty, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, fair, fair play, fair play. <laughs> Happy birthday to one of the uh, best singers of all time, Bing Crosby. Oh, I love Bing. Also, a good actor, won an Oscar for Going My Way. Mm. Um, he's very, very good indeed in uh, High Society, which is just such a wonderful film. That's the musical remake of the Philadelphia Story. Yeah, and I, I much prefer it to the Philadelphia Story. And it's a wonderful coming together of uh, some of the most influential musicians of the 20th century, because I think the songs are all by... Uh, Cole Porter mm. and um, isn't he in the film as well Cole Porter's not in the film mm. but we do have Louis Armstrong Frank Sinatra oh that's who it was yeah, yeah. Frank Sinatra Louis Armstrong and Bing Crosby like three absolute Grace Kelly as well. giants yeah but she's not a musician yeah. and, even though she does sing in the film and does very yeah. well uh, it was uh, Grace Kelly's last performance before she went off to Monaco to uh, marry Be princess. Prince Rainier yeah. mm. Happy birthday to another singer, a pop singer from our generation, Lily Allen. Ah, whose brother's Alfie is in uh, Game Theon of Thrones. Greyjoy, yeah. who is a yeah, I quite I quite like Lily Allen. To be honest, yeah. Wonder what she's doing. Uh, not much these days. I think she's probably still. I guess she's still singing, but not as. Mm. Not as well, I think. I think she. I think she sort of went on hiatus. Or I can't remember. But I, yeah, she, I, I, I liked her. She's kind of a. It's kind of cute first record, yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, I, her dad. Um, Keith Allen, a very funny man, is in both Train Spotting and uh, um, the New Order video, uh, the England New Order, you know, uh, with the, the John Barnes rap in it. And he's also in uh, 24 Hour Party People and a bunch of other stuff. I've not seen 24 Hour Party People. I oh, would it's like such to. a good film. Oh, God. Yeah. Love um, that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I just actually remembered something. You know our old mate Dexter Fletcher? Oh, yeah. I was wrong. You were right. He did have problems with I knew it. I knew it. Throughout his twenties, he, uh, he he. I read an interview with him when Wild Bill came out, and he said that he had money, but he didn't know how to like keep a hold of it, and he had a lot of problems with drugs and alcohol. There we go, bang! That's a hundred percent sweet. Thank you very much. But Alan, I mean, obviously, that's very sad. I'm very sorry for you. But there's a very uh, there's a sweet there's a bittersweet story to it that Alan Rickman was the one who saved him and brought him to the theater, and, and Alan Rickman was his best man at his wedding. <gasps> oh. And that's nice. Yeah. So there's a happy story to Get that. Get off the drugs now. <laughs> Give me the code. 
<laughs> Mr. Takagi won't be joining us for the rest of his life. In, so, in fairness, I would... You, <laughs> she does fencing. What? Shoot the glass! <laughs> Why are you saying it in English? <laughs> and it's just like, Asian Dawn? I read it in Time magazine. <laughs> uh, happy birthday to the director of The Reader, Stephen Doldry. Uh, I think he also directed uh, a film called The Hours, which is so depressing. And uh, Billy Elliot. I saw that on stage in uh, the in London. So did I. It was uh, very very good. Yeah, I very- saw it, I saw it. I think I might have been at the first performance. You know, very emotional. I have to say. Oh God, here we go again with Anders crying. No, no, no. It's just like there's a bit where <laughs> like, like, literally every podcast is you telling another fucking sob story about when you sat in a cinema or a theater somewhere and just started crying. Well, it, it just there's like a bit where he's like singing about his mum and he's reading a letter and she's on stage. And oh, for heaven's sake! She's dead and I don't know. Just, oh, God. Uh, happy birthday to a German director who has a brilliant name, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, and it has to be said, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. <laughs> Uh, that d- is a brilliant name. <laughs> that is a fucking wonderful name. <laughs> Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. Do you know what? Is it Donner's D-O-N-N-E-R? Yeah. Do you know what that means? Thunderfield. <laughs> Florian <laughs> Henkel von Thunderfield. <laughs> what an epic name. Please tell me that he is a porn director. <laughs> no, he directed The Lives of Others. Oh, of course he did. Oh, uh, yeah. No, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and he directed that awful film with Johnny Depp and. Uh... Doesn't matter. He's got a great name. <laughs> I made a bad film. Who cares? I'm Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, motherfuckers. Uh, oh, you, well, we love this guy. Uh, happy birthday to Whiffnail and I, writer and director Bruce Robinson. Yes. He, um, he lives. He's a bit of a recluse as well, actually. He lives out in uh, Herefordshire, I think. Really? Uh, yeah, very close to um, Hay on Wine, places like that, out near where um, Dr. Bob's parents uh, live. Oh, okay. And um, he's been obsessed for ages with, I think, Jack the Ripper and has written a lot of things, or he's writing a lot of things, doing a lot of research on that. Um, he's really not had that much. I mean, he's done films, but nothing that had the. The, the appeal and the legacy that Withnail and I had. Yeah, which he barely ever saw a penny from as well, yeah, which is he, even more yeah. impressive. And even that's so much his child because that film is one of the most personal projects you can think of. Uh, you don't know this guy, but I know this guy. Uh, happy birthday to Airy Lemon, who... Who? Airy Lemon. Harry Lemon? <laughs> no, Airy Lemon. Airy Le- Are you saying that in a cockney... What, what was that, spell his name? A-R-I. Oh, Airy. <laughs> and his last name is... L E H M A N lemon Le- lemon Airy lemon lemon Airy lemon what has Harry Lemon done? <laughs> Not much, actually. He's only... <laughs> Who is this guy? Last week, there were tons of famous people. We've got five word, five names down the list. We've got fucking Harry Lemon, who no one's ever heard of. No, well, I guess like people who watch a lot of horror films like I do, he uh, played a crucial role in playing the young Jason Voorhees, who does the Carrie-inspired ending where he pops out of the water and pulls in... At poor Alice when she's out on the lake in the canoe and and it's like a I don't know it's like it was just because like they wanted a moment where because throughout the entire film you get that Jason so he so he plays Jason he played he's the first actor that plays Jason Voorhees wait a minute is Jason Voorhees the one in Halloween no that's, that's Michael, Michael Myers. Myers sorry Jason Voorhees hockey mask uh, Michael Myers inside out William Shatner and who's the guy with the claws in his hand that's Freddy Krueger oh. Chucky is the doll yeah thanks. Um, happy birthday to Danish director Lorna Scherfig. Oh, she's good. Yeah. Um, her first uh, big film, which uh, got her wide recognition, not just in Denmark, but also in the UK, uh, Italiansk for Beginner. Italian. Italian for Beginners. Uh, yeah, she got in a bit of trouble with that film because she actually ripped that story off from somebody else. <gasps> and Lorna, how could you? And uh, Peter Olbeck Jensen was aware of this but ignored it this is your chum isn't it or he's not really my chum but you've met, met him. him I've met him yeah but he's yeah I mean like I met him once when I was looking around Saint this Hulper. is we should say this is a producer this is a very famous producer who started uh, St. Holper along with Lars von Trier and they uh, started the whole popular uh, dogma films and I met him once when I was looking around the studios because I was trying to apply for an internship there and, <laughs> and did you get it <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> Hence why I start the podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're still doing this. Yeah, I'm still doing this. And I met the guy. Uh, he's very towering and 
uh, figure. He's quite, he's quite charismatic, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, very charismatic. He's but back very, to, very Charles Dance-esque, I would say. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, Lorna Sheffy did um, quite education. a few films that were, were big in the UK, so, and education, and then... Um, the Riot Club. Yeah. So she's, she's doing really well for herself. Yeah, uh, what, what has she done recently? I know she's done something recently. Oh, yeah, there was something else. Was didn't she do um, Far from the Madding Crowd? Or am I just no? That made was that up? another. That was a man director, a Danish man director. <laughs> that was uh, Thomas Winterberg. Oh, who did really? Festin I love Thomas Winterberg and Yachton. I yeah. really wish I saw Yachton with you the Hunt. and Matt because he's Matt a, he's got a, really angry. At it. Is an incredible film. The yeah. Hunt is so good. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday to another guy who's got a really cool funny name Inkle, Engelbert Humperdinck Engelbert Humperdinck I lo- have you ever seen the uh, Eddie Izzard sketch about him where they're like no How it- I really wanted to be there when they were coming up with his names like right we need a good name for you and I'm just just like picking names out of thin air like Hungogong Dingy Donk Flingy Dak Doodleburg Engelbert Humperdinck Gingy Ding Flongy Dong and they're like no no, no go back one go back and he's like Engelbert Humperdinck <laughs> that works Humperdinck here we go and it also always reminds me obviously of Humperdinck 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 of um the Princess Bride. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the cliffs of insanity! Inconceivable! Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> Hello, lady. <laughs> but yeah, there's that bit with uh, Billy Crystal with Humperdick, Humperdick, Humperdick! We're closed, you bastard! <laughs> uh, I- I'm just going to say happy birthday to this guy because this is his actual name that's on IMDb Jeff the Drunk. <laughs> uh, you know what? I feel like there's a Jeff the Drunk in all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to say happy birthday to this director. This is uh, Tamara Jenkins. She's only done one film that I really liked—a very uh, in, uh, an indie film with Laura Linney and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman—and uh, uh, she was nominated for uh, best original screenplay. And Laura Linney was nominated for a leading actress o- Oscar. Uh, it's a very—it's a very sad film. It deals with—it's uh, a brother and sister who whose father has. It starts out he's living with this woman in Florida. And she passes away, and the family of that woman say, we're not going to take care of him, so he's now your problem now. Because they have a very bad relationship with their father that's talked about in their story. And they put him in a nursing home, and it's their relationship oh, of God, dealing with it. sounds really stuff. depressing. Yeah, there's a scene of the film where Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of calls her out on her, you know, hiding away of what this whole thing is. Because it, it, it was one of the great... And I watched this film just after he had passed away like, a couple of years ago, and it, it just showed, like, he was a really great actor and he just, he's one of the best he's one of the very yeah. best actors of, of on screen I think that you yeah. care to name he's, he's but fantastic like when we were having uh, lunch today we talked about James Gandolfini I think he's in that same field of like that, that, that yeah, sort of style of it's interesting to watch where, where you, their personality can't help but come mm. through no matter what character they're playing and yeah. I think that makes and they always better. play someone different every time yeah. and there's such vulnerabilities to both of them yeah, yeah. but it's a, it's, it was an interesting film I think she I, I, the film generally was a very small film and wasn't as successful but I think she I think she did a very good job and gave a very tender and like very personal film like Bruce Robinson was with With Nail and I and I think it's a film that I think people should see mainly just for the acting and the, the writing great she was an American girl well it was kind of cold that night she started on over a balcony yeah she could hear the cars roll by at all 441 like waves crashing on the beach so yes that concludes another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast you can find me on Twitter at Fabricius91. I'm on Twitter too, uh, the Brixton Dane. Check it out. And yeah, and you can also find me on Vimeo and you can see a few of my short films that I've made. Uh, it'd be nice to, to get uh, some good uh, feedback from people who are interested in films and you know, just like to see what people think and give me a good boost in that sense. And also, if you could, uh, when you subscribe to the podcast, it'd be nice to sort of get a if you would feel free to leave us a very uh, glorious uh, five star review if you really like the podcast it'd be good for us to get a little bit more and feel free to fuck off if you don't like yeah, the podcast yeah exactly <laughs> jog on mm. well uh, Adam you need to catch a plane so we should probably I do fly 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 yes <laughs> uh, yeah I gotta get off too I'm, uh, I'm having an old friend for dinner <laughs> references <laughs> movie references <laughs> hi Dougie <laughs> take this thing back to Brixton <laughs> <laughs> love your soup <laughs>
I think I should go now. <laughs> I think we probably should, otherwise we're just going to be coining this thing the whole night. Ready when you are, Sergeant Pembrick. Uh, I, Fernandez Holmes. Bye. Have a good day. census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs>